0: Roger, I am uh, your pastor. Welcome to uh, our viewers online as well. Uh, we are continuing our breakthrough series today, and this week uh, we'll be covering breakthrough of worship, and then next week we'll be covering breakthrough of healing, which will close out the series. And then the week after that, on June 6th, we'll be beginning a new series for the summer on the book of Galatians called Galatians, Free at Last. So just a preview on that series. Uh, the theme of Galatians is freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from legalism, but also freedom to experience life as God intended for us. Uh, it's a freedom that's only found through the, the pure unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians, in my opinion, is one of the clearest presentations of the gospel in the whole Bible, the gospel of grace. And we'll spend June, July, and most of August going through the book of Galatians. Okay, worship, breakthrough of worship. So most of you know that before I was in ministry, I was an opera singer. I'm not, I'm not going to sing. It's not about me. Okay, it's not an opera church. <laughs> All right. So I've, I've sung for a few of you, those of you who've invited me over for dinner. I'll sing for my supper. So if you want to have me over, I, I'm happy to sing for you. All right. So when I was studying music in college... Uh, In grad school, I supported myself by leading church music. Um, I was either a soloist, a section leader, uh, or I was the one who led the choir. Traditional church music, like choirs, organs, those kinds of things. So at one point, uh, my wife and I wanted to stop, because she did the same thing, wanted to stop doing the whole paid church gig thing, and we wanted to find a church of our own. And so, we landed in a church much like this one, uh, it was just bigger. And so, uh, to be honest, when it came to worship, I had a tough time at first at that church. I'm just being honest. You always get the honest, unadulterated truth from me. Like, like I, it frustrated me that there was no printed music, that there were just these words on the screen, like, come on, some of us can read music. I want to see it. Uh, It frustrated me when I'd hear something wrong in the music, like uh, the singer being a little bit flat or the drummer being behind on the beat uh, or a wrong rhythm, right? I'm hearing it. I'm like, that's supposed to be a syncopated rhythm. Why are you playing that on the beat? Okay? I had a real spirit of music criticism. Uh, Forget worshiping, I was just sitting there criticizing all of these things in my head. Not only that, but something else. So in the past, whenever I would attend a new church with traditional worship, like choirs and organs and such, uh, inevitably, after the service, the person sitting in front of me, in the row in front of me, would turn around, compliment me on my singing, and say, why aren't you singing in the choir? In this church that I was in, that I'm telling you about, that was like this one, but bigger, with, with like rock music, contemporary worship, no one ever did that. <laughs> First, because it was too loud for anybody to hear me. And second, because, okay, I'm gonna get real here, because I suck at singing that kind of music. <laughs> right? So those first few years, God had me on a path of humility. (laughs) Up until then, I can tell you that my identity was almost entirely caught up in my voice, in my singing. And now I was uh, in a church that had no use for me musically. So God taught me a lesson and I want to share it with you. I was at, at the time, I was at my small group. My wife and I were were at our small group uh, meeting one week. And it was a group of mostly people in their 50s, um, but they welcomed Jackie and I to be a part of their group. At the time, I was about 30. And the small group liked to include worship as part of their meetings. It was usually uh, right after the discussion and right before prayer. So the leader... uh, a woman, she pulled out her guitar, and she started handing out some song sheets, and when she started playing, literally, it was like the most square thing in the world, it was like, chonka, 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 <sighs> <laughs> and I'm looking around the room, and like everybody is like worshiping their guts out. Right? Most of them had their eyes closed. Some of them had their hands up. Like you could tell they were really into it. And I was, I was new to all this. Um, so I was pretty uncomfortable with being demonstrative in worship. And I was sitting there with this spirit of music criticism in my head. And the lady next to me, she was singing her heart out. She was just, <clears throat> just worshiping like crazy, except she was all out of tune and she sounded terrible. And in that moment, I distinctly heard the voice of the Lord say to me, you need to learn to worship me like her. And It was like one of those moments like, where I started like, tearing up. It was like one of those Oh God moments. And that began my journey of learning to worship. That it is not about us. It is not a performance. It is about us loving him. Amen. I got a couple scriptures here for you. Uh, first one, Psalm 18.1. It says, I love you, Lord, you are my strength. All right, that's it. I love you, Lord, and you are my strength. The second one is 1 Chronicles 16, 23 through 27. It says, Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. So if we as followers of Jesus Christ had a job description, worshiping the Lord would be at the top of the list. We were created first and foremost to worship God. And if we don't worship God, since we were created to worship, we will end up worshiping something else. So today I'm going to focus primarily on two things, and they're they're sort of connected with each other, uh, worship and celebration. How do we move from a faith that is merely an intellectual ascent to a faith that sinks deep into our bones. How do we have a breakthrough in worship? Okay, so we are called by God in his word to worship corporately, okay? I'm gonna break down uh, what that looks like. Uh, Most of this you might know, some of this you may not know. So number one, uh, corporate worship should include singing, Okay, this includes psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and singing in the Spirit. Okay, so some some verses. I always like to, like, substantiate what I'm saying (laughs) with the Word of God. Some verses here. Psalm 47.6, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. Acts 16.25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. And then Colossians 3:16. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Okay, so we're supposed to sing. Some of you go, well, I'm not a singer. Uh, well, I don't sound too, too good. It's like, again, it's for him. It's not about me. It's not, about, it's not a performance. Okay, singing. Another act of corporate worship is when we celebrate communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. Um, it is important that we worship through communion on a regular basis. Some some scriptures around that. Acts two forty two. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And then Acts 27, verse 7 on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So, communion, the Lord's Supper. Another act of worship we can do together is praising God, right? It is important when we worship together to regularly give the Lord praise for everything he is and everything he has done, right? If we gather and we just do that, that's a good service, right? Okay, some scriptures around that. Acts 2, 46 and 47. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met at homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And then Hebrews 13:15 Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So we also worship corporately through hearing God's word preached and applying that to our lives, right? It's not about information. It's about transformation, right? So there's tons of scriptures on that one. Uh, Another one is another act of worship is prayer, both corporate prayer and private prayer. Okay, three verses on that, Acts 12, 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And then Acts 12, 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And then Ephesians six eighteen, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So, um, praying church. So you know, a few weeks ago, Um, I had to stop our Sunday night prayer. Why? Um, I felt like we need to do more. And uh, not just it be one thing, like a one-week thing, but something that pervades the very fabric of everything we do. Right? And not just prayer, but Holy Spirit ministry. Okay? And so I think like 19, 20 of you signed up to be a part of like having a discussion of what that might look like. And so I looked at that list and I'm like, yeah, not everybody's on this list that's supposed to be here. I'm going to wait. Because I know that there's people who are supposed to be on this list that haven't told me yet. Uh, I want to see people who are passionate about prayer and ministry of the Holy Spirit In every small group that meets throughout the whole community, which we will have people like walking the streets of Fergus Falls and the surrounding community, praying over the neighborhoods and claiming it for Jesus Christ. I want to see people who are passionate about prayer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in every little ministry that happens here at Life Church. There should be a whole team of them in women's ministry, in men's ministry, in children's ministry in youth ministry, like this is not a silo. This is like the thing that needs to pervade the very fabric of everything we do, right? So I'm not asking you to like step out of where you are to do this thing. I'm asking you to bring Holy Spirit and prayer where you are, okay? So if you are passionate, if any of this is resonating with you and you wanna see more prayer, more ministry of the Holy Spirit here, and then penetrating out into our community, send me an email. Like, I wanna, like, it's not just a Sunday night thing, you know, it's sort of like tilling the soil for what new growth God's gonna bring, okay? So it's coming. So prayer, being a praying church is really, really important. Okay, so a few comments on corporate worship through singing. When we worship corporately, that first song is often a, uh, a, a song of invitation, okay? It's essentially saying, come, let us enter the throne room of God and worship him together, okay? So I've talked with some people over the years who view worship as sort of like the warm-up for the service. And uh, for them, the service doesn't really start until the preaching starts, I've talked to others who who view worship as like a performance, like a concert. So here's the deal. Worship needs to be centered on God, not centered on us. We worship for God's pleasure, not for our own benefit. And the greatest blessing, the greatest pleasure we can experience in our whole life is intimacy with God. The more we pursue intimacy with God, the more he will change us from the inside out. Certainly we'll begin exhibiting more of the fruit of the spirit and we will also begin carrying the aroma of the presence of God wherever we go. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. So when we're engaged in worship, we want to be real. We want to be authentic. Okay? Sometimes you're you're standing and raising your arms in praise. Sometimes you feel more reflective and you want to sit. Sometimes you are just so overwhelmed and you are tearing up that you can't sing a word. But here at Life Church, we want to promote an atmosphere of worship that is real, that is authentic. Okay? Where you feel the freedom to meet with the Lord wherever you're at. Okay? Maybe you just have the roughest week of your life. You almost didn't even come. And you want to just sit there and let the worship team just sing over you. That's okay. Or maybe you want to find a place in the sanctuary where you can, like, spread out a little bit and dance a little bit. That's okay, too. So one of the things that I've uh, begun talking with Amber about is... I'd like us to start singing more songs to God than just about God. When we do this, especially as the songs become more familiar to us, the words eventually become our own. And we end up singing those words from the depths of our own heart. They become our words. They become our prayers. So let me talk a little bit about... Uh, different postures of worship, because sometimes like, this, is, this is new to people. I alluded to different postures of worship, but I want to show you biblically uh, what some of those are. In worship, we're not just engaging our heart or our mind, but we are engaging our body as well. So, raising our hands. Raising our hands is entirely biblical Here's a few scriptures. In every place, this is 1 Timothy 2.8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Psalm 28.2. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Psalm one thirty four one and 2. Well, oh, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And then, Nehemiah 8:6, then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Okay, raising hands is biblical. Okay. I didn't know that. Like the church I grew up in, like nobody raised their hands. I thought it was weird at first. But well, it's in the Bible. <laughs> All right, dancing. That kind of freaks people out sometimes. Dancing. Like, okay, dancing is biblical. <laughs> so, a couple scriptures. Uh, Psalm 149.3, praise his name with dancing. Dancing accompanied by tambourine and harp. And then 2 Samuel 6, 14 and 15. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Right? And when his wife criticized him for being undignified, Dancing in the streets. He said, I will be even more undignified than this. Right? Okay, playing instruments. Playing instruments is biblical. One verse here. Psalm 33, 2 and 3. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make, and a lyre, not like someone who doesn't tell the truth. That's like a... (laughs) To do some contextualization here. (laughs) L-Y-R-E. This, okay. <clears throat> Make music for him on the 10-stringed ten, harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. Okay? I don't think anybody here would argue playing instruments shouldn't be used in worship. There are some denominations throughout history who, who made that argument. Okay? Clapping. Clapping is biblical, right? Yeah. Psalm 47.1, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Yes, clap. Okay. Now here's here's where it gets, you know, you're going to be like, I'm pushing the envelopes here. Okay. Bowing. Psalm 95.6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. What do I mean by bowing? You will remember this. (laughs) <laughs> that means getting on your knees before the Lord. Get it? Okay, that's biblical. If you want to do that, come out here, do it. I mean, I have seen the most beautiful worship. Like it's often like the young people who are most courageous to do these things. I've seen like teenagers just lined up, you know, just on their knees, just worshiping their guts out to the Lord. It's beautiful. I've seen all different ages, but, it, I, but the picture that stands out in my mind are, are seeing all these teenagers doing that. Okay, laying prostrate. Okay, uh, here's some scriptures Nehemiah 8:6, the second half of that. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then Matthew 26, 39. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So laying prostrate, I warned the camera people about this. So laying prostrate looks like this. Get it? you turn me back on? Okay, am I back on? Yeah. You will remember that. That is biblical. There are times when you are in such... Let me make sure. Okay. You're in such awe of what he has done in your life. His grace, his power, his mercy, his love. Go back and do a word study on, in the Old Testament on Chesed. His loving kindness, His mercy, that all we can do is fall flat on our face before the Lord. Laying prostrate is a biblical posture of worship. So I told you already that I grew up in a church uh, where there was not a lot of physical demonstrativeness in worship. Add to that all the years that I spent leading worship, choirs, organs, that kind of thing. And uh, I had a real hard time at first uh, being demonstrative in worship, which is crazy when you think about it. Uh, We'll go to a rock concert, we'll go to a football game, we will go uh, jump up and down, and we will scream and we will yell. Uh, But then we have a hard time being expressive and showing our love to the Lord of the universe. The one who has won the ultimate victory. But thankfully, I saw a lot of people uh, who seemed to have a freedom in worship that I wanted. I just didn't know how to get there. I knew it was scriptural, because I had heard good teaching on it, and I saw others being free in worship, but... Uh, to be honest, it felt really weird to me. So here's what I did. For me, it was an outside-in process. Okay, I thought, okay, so out of obedience, I'm just going to hold my hands here. This feels really fake, uh, but I'm going to do it for you, Jesus. Okay, and, and I closed my eyes so I wouldn't feel self-conscious. But like, the first few times I did this, I was like, oh, this is stupid, this is stupid, this is dumb, like, this is ridiculous. Like, I mean, literally, I'm just doing it out of obedience. Okay? After a few weeks, it became more comfortable. Um, I started lifting my hands higher and higher. Eventually, my heart broke loose and I began to experience freedom in worship authentically free, like not doing something because other people are doing it, but out of love for the Lord. So some days, like you'll see me, I I like to sit over here, I don't like, I don't like want to be up front here, I want to be off to the side. You'll see me like worshiping full bore with my hands raised, moving around. Other days, you might just see me sitting there and letting the worship team sing over me. It is about being authentic, authentically connecting and worshiping the Lord right where you are at. Don't do something because someone else is doing it and you, you feel like the social pressure and all that kind of stuff. No, it's, it's you and the Lord, you and the Lord. That's what we want here, you and the Lord, okay? Authentic, wherever you're at, Okay. As you learn to engage your heart, your mind, and your body in authentically loving the Lord through worship, you will begin to encounter his presence. And as the words start that you're singing, they start becoming your own words to the Lord, the presence of God shows up. And and that is what changes us. His presence. So that's corporate worship. Uh, That's not the only way we can worship the Lord. Uh, Here's some other ways. We can worship through service. Right? We can worship the Lord through serving others. Here's a few scriptures, a couple of them. Luke 1, 74, 75 says, We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And then Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust, he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So as I talked about last week, we meet Jesus in the poor, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, right? We meet Jesus in the lost, in the last, in the least. As we are serving them, We are worshiping him. Okay. Worship is also giving. Ooh, just got quiet. All right. We should worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings. I've got some scriptures here. Deuteronomy 26.10. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground in worship before him. 1 Chronicles sixteen twenty nine. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Malachi three ten. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And then Matthew 2, 10 through 11. When they saw saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One more. This is Jesus talking, Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So in that last scripture, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and the point, of course, is that the Pharisees are, they are obeying the letter of the law by tithing, but they're neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. But I included that scripture because sometimes I talk to people and they tell me that tithing is not in the New Testament. When Jesus says you should tithe, I went and I did a word study on that word to make sure the translation was correct. The Greek word is apodik. Wait, let me show you. A pa de katao. A pa de katao. Literally, it means to give or pay a tithe, meaning a tenth or 10%. So, let let me tell you a story about this. Okay. I'm like, if you struggle with this, I'm with you. Okay. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I saw a lot of these, like, TV evangelists. Right? Anybody, you know, you know these guys. Uh, get caught misappropriating church funds for their own use, right? Some of these guys have got like jets and mansions and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm always going to tell you the truth, right? So for years, I thought the church was a bunch of money grubbers. Really. Uh, it wasn't until I started attending a church that started doing some like really good teaching, solid biblical teaching on giving, tithing, stewardship in general, uh, that I started to change my mind. I, rem- I remember really struggling and praying about this. And uh, my wife, Jackie, and I, we talked about it at the time, and she, ev- she eventually said, she, she said, I'm going to leave it up to you to make the decision. She was fine with whatever I decided. And uh, so at the time... Like, we were making very little, right? I had just finished music school. I had done the whole audition circuit. I had a little bit of success, but, like, I needed a day job, right? So, I was literally working in customer service at a software company, uh, Wolfram Research. They make, like, math software. Um, And so, one Sunday at church, I felt convicted. I was like, okay, fine. Let's do it. And so I wrote a check for 10% of our monthly income, a check at the time for uh, $400. And that was a lot of money for me at the time. And, but I remember going, all right, God, I'm just going to trust you, and I just I put it in there. Literally, literally a week later, I was at work, and someone from upstairs came downstairs came down and they asked me to come up to their office. And they said, uh, Roger, I wanna promote you to project manager. Like literally, like I didn't apply for a job, there was no interview, like just like that, I got a promotion. And the salary, the salary was double what I was making before. Like ever since then, like we've been tithing and I'm just like amazed, like all these weird, cool, like, God coming in and just providing at the time when, like, like it's just like, oh, that could have only been God kind of thing. I've got tons of these kinds of stories. I'm not going to share them all today. But um, am I promoting a prosperity gospel? No, I am not. I'm saying that there is a biblical principle of worship through giving putting God first in every area of our lives, and that includes our finances. Worship through giving is all throughout the Bible. Like, you can't miss it, okay? So I, I have, that, that concept of tithing and giving has so radically transformed my life, and I've seen it transform so many others' lives. I will never hesitate to teach on this, Because like the whole transformation that I went through of realizing what an impact I can have on a person's life is just amazing, and I'll continue to tell that. All right, so in addition to corporate worship and worship through serving and worship through giving, uh, there's just in general living a lifestyle of worship. Um, There's like having a time each day to spend with the Lord. Uh, Some people call this, Having a quiet time. Then there's uh, practicing the presence of the Lord, like bringing him into our everyday activities, right? Brother Lawrence made this practice famous in his book, Practicing the Presence of God. It's a small little book. It's this guy, this monk, who's like trying to bring the presence of God into like washing dishes and all these other things. So the idea is to bring bring that into our everyday activity. So at some point, I'm sure I'll I'll teach on each of those. There's probably several messages that could come out of those. Um, But I wanna talk a little bit about celebration. I wanna talk about celebration because um, it's important, it's biblical, and most of us either don't do it enough or when we do celebrate, we often feel guilty about it. Like, I should be doing more work. I need to be doing something. Okay, so what is celebration? Celebration is taking utter delight and joy in God's gifts in our life. Okay, ourselves, our life, our family, our salvation, the beauty and goodness of God that we see all throughout the world, right? The news doesn't want you to know that. Turn it on. It's like it's all just gloom and doom, but there is beauty and goodness in our world, okay? And celebrating the fact that we have Jesus Christ, okay? And in the end, we know Jesus wins, right? We typically think of celebrating, right, when there's a a special occasion in our life. I have a quote here from Henry Nowen. He says, uh, celebration is not only a part of special occasions, but an ongoing awareness that every moment is special and has to be lifted up and recognized as a blessing from on high. So this takes practice. It doesn't often come naturally. Um, even when we're down and we're depressed, we can cultivate uh, joy and celebration in our lives. So I have five Steps on how to cultivate joy and celebration in our lives. If you're a note taker, um, you can write these down. So number one is start by learning to laugh. Okay? Laugh at yourself. Just laugh in general. Okay? Laugh with people. Don't laugh at people. Okay? But we need to laugh more in life. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, this is actually an important discipline to master. And for some of you, it comes naturally. Others of you, it literally will feel like a discipline, okay? Don't take yourself too seriously. Here's a quote from the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He said, I don't think I woke up and presto, I was funny. I think it is something you, that you can cultivate. Like anything else, it is a skill. Yes, it does help if you have the inclination, and especially if you can laugh at yourself. So learn to laugh at yourself. It's really the easiest place to begin. It's about humility. Laugh at yourself and don't be so pompous and serious. If you start looking for the humor in life, you will find it. You will stop asking, why me? And start recognizing that life happens to all of us. It makes everything easier, including your ability to accept others and accept all that life will bring. Okay, so learn to laugh. That's number one. Number two, um, celebrate by singing and dancing. Okay, let celebration erupt from your bones. Okay, who cares if you're not good? Sing, dance. Okay, I got another quote here. It's a good one. Um, Dr. William... Perky, he's an author and professor of education. He said, You gotta dance like there's nobody watching. Love like you'll never be hurt, sing like there's nobody listening, and live like it's heaven on earth. Okay? Sing and dance. Okay, number three, play. You know, play. Doesn't come that especially as we get older. I think everybody's soul is like a certain age. I've met young people with the soul of like a 60-year-old, and they never want to play. Um, my wife has reminded me, my soul's about 13. You know? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, like, I almost went into youth ministry, just because I'm like... <laughs> so, uh, anyone remember the, uh, that, the old Twilight Zone with like uh, Rod Serling back in the 60s? there was an episode, um, Kick the Can. And so, uh, so in, in this episode, it was a bunch of elderly people at a nursing home. They decide that uh, if they act young, they'll become younger. And so, they go outside to play a game of Kick the Can. And so, they try to convince this one guy to join them, and he, he'll have none of it, right? He stays inside. He's, like, saying all the things somebody might say, like, you know, you'll hurt yourself, you're too old, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then that guy gets curious. He actually, he goes out to see what they're doing, and he discovers uh, that they've all turned into kids. And, uh, and the guy wants to join him, but, but it's too late, Right? I still have the scene in my head, you know, he's like, oh, and all the kids are like running off, and so, play is important, you can celebrate and worship the Lord through play, so that's number three, play. Number four, celebrate by finding ways to be creative, okay, well, it might be music, art, painting, scrapbooking, web design, or woodworking, right? You can celebrate and worship the Lord through your creativity. Okay? Number five, celebrate big or little events in your life and in the life of your family. Too often we, we just reach a goal and then we push on uh, without pausing to celebrate. We need to stop and we need to reflect and we need to celebrate what God has done in our lives. So here's an observation, Um, I can say in all honesty that in every church where I've served as a pastor, the senior pastor that I served under was a high level leader who could accomplish a whole lot and um, they led us to accomplish a whole lot as a staff but they struggled with work-life balance And they struggled to maintain margin in their lives. And uh, once we scaled a mountain together, right, we we reached a goal, um, they struggled to see the value in stopping and celebrating. I don't ever want to be that way. Celebrating is important and it's biblical. And it's definitely a way that we should be worshiping the Lord. So let me ask you this question as I wrap it up here. Um, What if you don't want to celebrate? Like what if you're in a tough spot right now in your life and like that is the furthest thing from your mind? Maybe you're sad, maybe you're angry, maybe you're feeling like some other tough emotion right now. Certainly we don't want to pretend that everything's okay when it isn't that wouldn't be authentic. So there are many people in the Bible who honestly shared their pain and even found themselves praising God in the midst of it. The book of Lamentations is a great example. shows us what can happen when we are authentic and we are honestly expressing our grief, our anger, and our pain. So let's Uh, Lamentations chapter 3 verses 19 through 24 says the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss yet I still dare to hope when I remember this the faithful love of the Lord never ends his mercies never cease great is his faithfulness His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. So if that's where you're at this morning, and worship and celebration are the farthest things from your heart, we want to pray for you. God is the God of new beginnings. God is the God of the exodus, right? I've seen him over and over pull people out of dark places and bring them into freedom. Jesus saved us from hell, but that's not just in eternity, that is today. Some of you hearing this might be experiencing hell right now. Jesus can save you. When he began his ministry, Jesus literally opened up the scroll for Isaiah 61, and uh, he read it, and it says this, the first three verses of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called... Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So I'm telling you from personal experience when Jesus has pulled you out of the pit of despair and he has given you a new life, a new identity, and he has given you the gift of his Holy Spirit, you will want to worship. You will want to celebrate. And he doesn't just do it once. He does it over and over and over and over again in our lives. One last little scripture. Psalm 126, verses 2 and 3. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. Would you help us to worship you in spirit and in truth? Would you help free us so we can worship you with our whole hearts and our whole lives. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would each begin to experience the transforming power of being in your presence. And not just on Sundays, but all day, every day. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence into every moment in our lives. May we be a body of believers that is known for our worship of Christ. May we be a body of believers that has the scent of Christ on us so that whoever we encounter would sense the presence of the Lord on us. Pray that in Jesus' name.